Let's open our Bibles to the book of Job, the 12th chapter. You'll find in teaching the book of Job that there's several exchanges between these three friends that come to comfort him in his affliction and Job answering them, especially because of all their accusations that they accuse him of. We find that Zophar had just spoken to Job and accused him of a lot of things and said he was full of talk in chapter 11. And and Job, Zophar is the voice of legalism, actually. He says, Job, he says, this is the way it is that you have all this coming upon you just because you deserve it. And he comes to Job in a legalistic sort of way. And in chapter 12, we come to Job's answer. In fact, chapter 12 and 13 and 14, Job continues to expound and, and to speak and professes confidence in God and acknowledges God's omnipotence. And uh, chapter 14, recognize that man is born of a woman and he's full of troubles, has troubles. And then in chapter 15, you're going to have the voice of experience again. And this is Eliphaz is going to speak again. And so right now in the 12th chapter, we look, pick up with verse 1, I think in our last lesson, We mentioned verse 1 and 2, but let's pick up with verse 1 nevertheless. So it says, And Job answered and said, No doubt, but ye are are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. In other words, he's saying to Zophar and these others that had been coming to him, he says, You fellows are the wisest men on earth, and you know when you die, there will be none of it left. Wisdom is going to die with you. We have a a lot of people we could apply that today to, couldn't we? I mean, they think that, that the world didn't exist till they got here. You know, this country didn't even exist. This nation wasn't here at all. And, you know, the whole world depends upon their entrance into it and their exit from it. And uh, he says, wisdom is going to die when you die. Look at that. Isn't that something? No doubt, but you are the people and wisdom shall die with you. You're the wisest men on earth. And when you die, there'll be no more wisdom left on found on the face of the earth. And then he says in verse 3, but I have understanding as well as you. Job says, I've had some experiences myself. I have some understanding too. Have you ever come to the place that sometimes when people speak to you, they act like you know nothing whatsoever, just zero? <laughs> And you're so naive that you don't know what's going on. Well, I've had a few of those experiences in my lifetime, and I have them quite often, really. But I have understanding. Job says, as well as you, I'm not inferior to you. Yea, who knoweth not such things as these? He says, all these things you've been telling me, if you go back and read the the 11th chapter, you'll find Zophar was telling him uh, all kinds of things. And, uh, And Job says, You know, I know these things that you've been speaking about. I'm not ignorant of these things. And then he says in verse 4, I am as one mocked of his neighbor, who calleth upon God, and he answereth him. The just, upright man is laughed to scorn. Job maintained that he was just and upright before God. In fact, God said that uh, Job was a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth or shuns evil, shunneth evil. And he told that to Satan. When Satan came to try to uh, accuse Job, and God says, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the, in the earth? And uh, now, Job says, I'm like one that's mocked of his neighbor. And verse uh, 5, he says, He that is ready to slip with his feet is as a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. The tabernacles of robbers prosper, and they that provoke God are secure. In other words, the places where the uh, wicked uh, and robbers uh, dwell, they prosper. The prosperity of the wicked is he has in view. Into whose hand God bringeth abundantly. You know, this is the problem of the psalmist in Psalm 73. Remember when 
The psalmist said, When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, my feet were upon slippery ground. He said, They uh, speak out against the heavens. They speak loftily. They, they uh, uh, speak uh, against oppression. They're not uh, chastened as other men are. Says they seem to just do fine, and he says, and I'm chastened all the day long. The psalmist said, and this was a puzzle to him. It's a puzzle to Job. He says, the tabernacles of robbers prosper, and they that provoke God are secure. That's not really true, is it? But uh, Job felt that way. Those that provoke God are not secure. In fact, in the middle of that seventy-third psalm, the psalmist says, until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, then I understood their end. Thou hast set them in slippery places; they'll be brought down as in the moment. And God would, would bring judgment upon them. Surely they're the ones that are in danger, and I'm not in so much danger. Remember, at first he says, I've washed my hands in innocency, and I've cleansed my heart in vain. In other words, it doesn't pay me to be a Christian. You ever have people with that attitude? You know, everything goes bad. Now, since I became a Christian, I just have all kinds of problems. <laughs> I had it better out in the world. Well, you really didn't have it better out there, but you made yourself believe you did. <laughs> you know, every child of God has blessings unknown or blessings above and beyond what he may imagine. Just life and health and strength and peace with God and, and having uh, your needs supplied day by day. Just ordinary things are blessings, and sometimes we take them too much for granted. But anyway, here Job says, the, the tabernacles of robbers prosper, and they that provoke God are secure, into whose hand God bringeth abundantly. God gives them more than they need. And then verses 7 through the rest of the chapter, Job acknowledges God's omnipotence. Omnipotence. How that God is all-powerful. And he sees God in some aspects with creation and with, his, uh, with uh, the, the things of the earth and of the heavens as well, the breath and life of men and beasts as well. In verse uh, 7 he says, But ask now the beast, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee. And the fishes of the sea shall declare it unto thee. Who knoweth not in, in all these things that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? He's saying God has all this power. In whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath, uh, breath of all mankind? He's saying the soul of the living soul of men. He's distinguishing here between that and the breath of all mankind or of all flesh as well as all mankind. So man has a living soul, doesn't it? Remember it says that God, when God created man, he breathed into man the breath of, actually it's lives, plural, the breath of lives, and man became a living soul. And so he didn't do that for beasts. He gave them the physical life, the animal life, uh, the breath of all mankind or of all flesh. And mankind has that breath, but he also has a living soul. And we gave you something last week or a last lesson to distinguish in that in the book of Ecclesiastes when it says, Who knoweth the, the spirit of the, the beast that goeth downward to the earth and the spirit of man that goeth upward to God? Upward. And it was indicating upward to God. Okay, uh, here it says in, in verse 11, <clears throat> Doth not the ear try words, and the mouth taste his meat? With the ancient is wisdom, and in length of days is understanding. He was saying that there has been wisdom all the while, though these men didn't recognize it. And he says, in length of days is understanding. Men should become more wise as they grow older. It's not always the case, but it, that should be true. Some people live 90 years and never learn very much. And others leave, live 20 or 30 years and learn a great deal. 
But it should be a progressive thing in all of our lives. That that age should bring about a more greater understanding and, and more wisdom as we grow older. But it will only happen if we apply ourselves to the instructions of wisdom and the Word of God. So, you know, all the... There's many exceptions to the rule. And so we have to learn from God, and then it does. It is true. With the ancient is wisdom, and length of, in length of days, understanding. With Him is wisdom. So all wisdom, He alone, can supply this wisdom. See, it says, with Him is wisdom and strength, and He hath counsel and understanding. So if a man does not receive this wisdom from God, he will not have it at all. Regardless of how he might apply himself to earthly wisdom. The Bible says, and we quoted this morning in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that the, after the wisdom of this world, listen, the world by wisdom knew not God. And says it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So the wisdom of this world is not the same as the wisdom of God. In fact, it's right the opposite. So uh, in verse 13, Job says, with him he's... He's recognized the sovereignty and the wisdom and the knowledge and the counsel and the might of the Almighty. He said, with, it, with him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. Behold, he breaketh down and it cannot be built again. He shutteth up a man and there can be no opening. He often frustrates the best laid plans of men and the purposes of men. He frustrates them and he changes them to... You know, there's a lot of people that... Uh, have purpose to do evil or wickedness or to try to do evil to the house of God, the church of God, or to Christians. Uh, a lot of things have happened. I was thinking of Brother Coyle and, and his son up there and some fellas giving him trouble in the school there in the church. And, and But, you know, God can frustrate the counsels of the evil and the wicked that try to overthrow that which is good. He can change it around. And so it says... Uh, he shutteth up a man, and there can be no opening. He can close him in, can he? The Bible says in Revelation, He opened and no man shutteth, and he shutteth and no man opened. Paul said, A great and effectual door is opened unto me. He meant a door of service, Paul, in the book of Acts. And he says, And there are many adversaries. But he says it's a great and effectual door. You know what that means? It was a great opportunity for service, and it was effectual in that it was capable of producing the desired effects. And he says, and there are many adversaries. Paul wasn't concerned so much about the adversaries. He just recognized them. And I think if you read the context, it was two or three years that he stayed there and preached. And he was a missionary, too. And, of course, that was quite a length of time for him to stay in one place. It wouldn't be for a pastor, but he was going about various other places and establishing churches, wasn't he? And so, uh, he didn't mind the many adversaries. How many people have you known today that find out when there's adversaries, they say, well, you know, it's time for me to leave. Time to, to go, isn't it? But how many people, how many preachers and churches will stick it out through thick and thin? You have to have some stick to it in the service of God. As a Christian in the pew, as well as a pastor and teacher and, and, and teachers in the Sunday school or whatever, or whatever service you have to render, you have to stick to it. And uh, it's very important to be willing to, to suffer through thick and thin, as we say. <clears throat> I believe that's what Paul meant when he told Timothy. He says, uh, preach the word. He said, be instant in season and out of season. That would be when you feel like it and when you do, do not feel like it. Or when you when it's received and when it's not received. Uh, when when uh, people want to hear it and when people turn their ears from it. And he says, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. He says, reprove rebuke and exhort 
with all long-suffering and doctrine. And he says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, that sound teaching. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables, fairy tales, just stories. And of course you could classify that under a lot of things. But we won't go into that. But they'll turn to anything other than the solid, sound preaching of the Word. Because they desire to hear something new or something else. I'm thankful for Brother Randy's sticking to the Word. He's going through the thick and thin of it, too. But, you know, you you have to preach it all. And, of course, there's some things, and I'll give him a little hint now. You don't have to elaborate on everything you see. But... uh, And if he'll take that sound advice, he'll learn to pass over some of it. Uh, Because in the Word, you have things that you can just briefly uh, categorize and speak of and then move on to something that sometimes uh, some of the things that you say and teach from the Bible is not too well to be taught in a mixed crowd. Or it may be a little bit, uh, you know, God's Word tells it all like it is. And it doesn't mean that it's always acceptable to to bring up everything you hear and read in the Word of God. And uh, I'm sure that some of you noticed as I was teaching the book of Kings, there are certain verses that I'd skip over a little bit, and not to avoid them especially, but to include them in the whole thought process and say, well, this evil was thought to be done to these people, and you don't have to define and go into detail as to to all the people that were involved. And (laughs) So, Randy? You getting this? Okay, you got this? Okay. So, uh, anyway, where was I? So, down there in verse, uh, we're talking about uh, the Lord opens the door and he shuts the door. But Paul wasn't worried about the many adversaries, was he? And here it says that concerning Job, he, he, uh, opened, he shutteth up a man and there can be no opening. Now in verse 15, Behold, he withholdeth the waters, and they dry up. Also he sendeth them out, and they overturn the earth. In the creation, he gathered the waters together into one place, and he said, let the dry land appear, didn't he? And then in the flood, what he, he sent the flood out from the waters from above and from beneath, and it overturned the whole earth. It flooded the whole earth. So God has power to draw the waters back, or he has power to distribute them and uh, in the proper places, as it did in creation, there were oceans and lakes when the, he made them find their settled place in, on the earth. And then also, uh, there was a time when he sent a flood upon the earth in Noah's day. He's showing, Job is showing God's uh, omnipotence, his power. And it says, with him, in verse 16, is strength and wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. Both of them. The one that is the deceiver... God has him under control. We think, well, that fellow's a deceiver. What's God going to do about him? You know, the deceived are at the mercy of the deceiver, right? But he says God has control of both ends of it. And when the deceiver comes along, the deceived can be helped by the Almighty because he has power to equalize things. You know, I don't know what's happening over here in uh, Haiti, but I think there's some scriptures here pretty soon that will apply to it. Uh, We don't know... Whatever God's purpose is, the way it'll work out. That's the way it's going to work out, regardless of the counselors or the the mediators or what. But God is going to overrule it some way, somehow, for His purpose and, and glory in the end. 
And it doesn't mean there won't be suffering and sorrow sometimes. There is that too. Uh, it says in verse 17, He leadeth counselors away spoiled. Look at that. And maketh judges the judges fools. Judges are supposed to be wise, aren't they? He says, he, in the counselors, he leadeth them away spoiled. And maketh judges fools. He looseth the bond of kings and girdeth their loins with a girdle. He leadeth princes away spoiled and overthroweth the mighty. Overthroweth the mighty. Look at this. He removeth away the speech of the trusty and taketh away the understanding of the aged. He poureth contempt upon princes, and weakeneth the strength of the mighty. You know, all the leaders, counselors, judges, princes, kings that's spoken of can do nothing apart from God's permissive uh, will and power. If God has designed to destroy, in spite of all their political wisdom and knowledge, they can bring nothing about. Because he knows uh, how to handle all situations. He removes kings and sets up kings. Look, at verse uh, 18, he looseth the bond of kings. Look in Daniel verse uh, chapter 2, verse 20 through 22. Daniel chapter 2. Let's read beginning with verse 20. It says, Dan Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth, knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. Day and night both alike to God. And he says he removes kings and setteth up kings. Have you ever questioned why God would permit some wicked kings to be on thrones around the world? Well, there will be a time that, that they will run their course, and he will bring them down, and other things will transpire. Nations come and go, do, do they not? Arise and they're, they're gone. And God has a purpose in all of this. And it's not for you and I to try to figure out everything in the purpose of God. But it's all working on schedule. It's all working according to His plans. All the things that are happening in Israel and, and uh, the land of uh, Palestine, Jerusalem, and all over there in Lebanon, all that today. All of the things that are happening around the world. And we, we know that Jesus prophesied and said there would be wars and rumors of the wars, but he says the end is not yet. And so we find that all of them are under his control. And Job is recognizing. He leadeth counselors away, spoiled, maketh judges fools. That's verse 17. He looseth the bonds of kings and girdeth their loins with a girdle. He leadeth princes away, spoiled, and overthroweth the mighty. He removeth away the speech of the trusty and taketh away the understanding of the aged. He poureth contempt upon princes and weakeneth the strength of the mighty. He discovereth deep things out of darkness and bringeth out, of, out to light the shadow of death. He increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations and straighteneth them again. You know, God has permitted this nation to exist in freedom and, and blessings for, what, a couple of hundred years. And what's going to happen? If we keep on uh, sinning against God, uh, the nation as a whole is going to have to suffer the consequences. And some good people, good uh, Christian people, are going to have to suffer along with it. Uh, it doesn't mean that there will not be some personal peace and escape in some instances. But uh, the only thing that's withholding uh, judgment upon a wicked nation like we're living in, someone might dare me to say that, but it is, uh, is the ch children of the child of God and, and the Christian community and, and the preaching of the word and the fact that there is an element of, of, of Christians 
in this country. And I believe that if it were not for that, well, you'd see the hand of God judged, uh, poured out in judgment just as it did in some wicked nations in the past. We talk about uh, so many heathen nations. Well, our country has become ab- about as heathen as it can be in many respects. And it's a sad thing to look about you and see that those kind of elements are practically trying, or they're trying to control, but they're practically controlling things that uh, transpire in our own country. And God is against all of the things that uh, a lot of the ACLU and various uh, segments of our society are promoting today. Certainly, He's against uh, uh, abortion. He doesn't want little babies killed before they're born. He's against all these kind of open uh, relationships where men live with women, women live with men and unmarried, and all these children are being born out of wedlock. He's against all of this. And God wants people to get, get right, repent of sin, turn to Him. And... We need to uh, express that because God's Word doesn't deviate just because we're living in a permissive society in the times that we're living in. His Word is still the same. And sin is still sin in the sight of God. So it says here, uh, He increaseth, look at verse 23, the nations and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations and straighteneth them again. He taketh away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth and causeth them to wander in a wilderness where there is no way. Remember what happened over there in the book of Daniel? Who was it, old uh, Nebuchadnezzar or one of them that was sent out to to, uh, fare for himself? Nebuchadnezzar in the, uh, what chapter do we find? Tells about it in uh, chapter 5. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened, well, let's begin reading with verse 18. It says, O thou king, the most high God, get, God, high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty, this chapter 5 of Daniel, and glory and honor, and for majesty that he gave him all the people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. He gave Nebuchadnezzar a great power and majesty and might, trembled before him, and feared before him whom he would he slew, and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Now look, this is what happened to him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with the grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. And he's giving this, Daniel's giving this, to warn old Belshazzar. And he says, And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. He says, You're doing the same thing. But hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the the vessels of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass and iron and wood and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. He says, Belshazzar, you've done the same thing. And he says, Then was the part of the hand sent from him. And this writing was written. Remember when he saw this writing on the wall, uh, he began to, his knees began to knock, and he began to shake all over. And he feared, and he finally called for Daniel and got Daniel. And Daniel's the one that's given him the interpretation of his of his vision, and he says, 
of this vision of the writing of the hand that writing on the wall. And this is the writing uh, uh, that was written. Meaning, meaning, tekel, you farson. This is the interpretation of the thing. Meaning, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and the found morning. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. All this from God. The handwriting on the wall. He says, this is what's going to happen to your kingdom, Belshazzar. It says, uh, then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night, look, God did this. God said it's going to happen. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldean slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about three score and two years old. Now, if you turn back to the book of Job, it says, He taketh away, verse 24, 12, verse 24, always holds your place where we're studying. He taketh away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth and causeth them to wander in a wilderness where there is no way. It's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, wasn't it? Then it says, They grope in the dark without light, and he maketh them to stagger like a drunken man. In chapter 13, Job continues to disprove, or to reprove, I should say, his friends that have come to comfort him. He says, Lo, mine eye hath seen all this, mine ear hath heard and understood it. What ye know, the same do I know also. Remember, these fellows at first said, Well, Job, now God does this and God does that. So Job gave them a little exposition here on his knowledge of the omnipotence of God. That's what we've just been reading. He says, I know this too. I know God's all-powerful. And now he says, Lo, mine eye hath seen all this, mine ear hath heard and understood it. What ye know, the same do I know also. They had been telling him the same thing. He says, I know something about God's power too. And then he says, I am not inferior to you. That's what he just stated in the 12th chapter, in verse 3. And look at this. Surely I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire the reason to, to reason with God. But ye are forgers of lies. Ye are all physicians of no value. You know, their prescription was worthless for Job because their diagnosis was wrong. You know, if you go to the doctor, if he diagnoses it, one sickness or one malady that you have, he gives a prescription for that particular thing. Well, these fellows, Job had appeared before them, and he says, you're physicians of no value. In other words, you, you have you've tried to discern what's wrong with me, and you haven't hit, hit the point yet. You haven't figured it out yet. And so therefore, uh, he says, you're forgers of lies and you're all physicians of no value. If we go to the doctor, we want him to give us something that's helping that particular problem. No. And he says, oh, that ye would altogether hold your peace and it should be your wisdom. Job said to all his three friends, Eliphaz and Zophar and Bildad, one the voice of, of uh, experience, the voice of... of uh, Legalism and and the voice of what's the other one? Voice of legalism and, and the voice of of uh, you know, tradition. Tradition. The voice of tradition. All of them represented a certain element of, of these various voices that were coming to him. And so the voice of tradition. And he says, if you would all hold to get, if you would all together hold your peace. It should be your wisdom. In other words, you would be wiser if you said nothing. You would be wiser if you said absolutely nothing. Sometimes that's true as far as uh, you and I are concerned. Let's see if I can read a scripture in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 17, verse 28. Even a fool, look, even a fool when he holdeth his peace is counted wise. And it says, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. That's what Job was telling his friends. He said, if you just shut up, people would think you're wiser than you really are. 
you'd have them all fooled, wouldn't you? If you'd just be quiet, but you've opened your mouth and now they know it. And that's, that's what, that, that was their problem. They had spoken out so many things that didn't apply to Job. He says, it would be better, look at this verse, chapter 13, verse 5. Oh, that you would all together hold your peace, and it should be your wisdom. <clears throat> he says, hear now my reasoning, and hearken to the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak wickedly for God, and talk deceitfully for Him? All the things that these three friends had been saying, they were speaking as if God was uh, deceitful, and God was... Uh, will you speak wickedly for God? Look at these questions. And talk deceitfully for Him? Will you accept His person? Will you contend with? Uh, will you contend for God? It is good that He should search you out. Or as one man mocketh another, do ye so mock Him? As you mock me, do you mock God in the same way? As one man mocketh another, you've mocked me, Job said. You made fun of me. You said I had all this coming upon me. You said that my punishment really should be greater instead of less. That if God, remember the last time, he said, if God would just give you what you deserve, uh, uh, he says your punishment is less, God would just give you all you deserve, it would be far more than you're, you're getting. I, I can't find it right now. Yeah, I do. It's in chapter 11, just before this, chapter 11, verse uh, 6. And he's speaking against Job. This is uh, Zophar, the voice of legalism. He says, he says, Job, you're getting what you deserve. And in verse 6, he says, And that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom. He's telling Job, I wish you had some wisdom. That they are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquities deserveth. Look at that. <laughs> Zophar says to Job, he says, God has given you less than your sin deserves. You deserve a lot more than, than you're getting from God. Well, how much more could Job take? He was, he lost all of his property. He lost his... Uh, all his family, seven sons and three daughters. He was afflicted from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet with balls, sore balls. And he was sitting in an ash heap. And his wife had said, curse God and died. Uh, he, you know, why do you still maintain your integrity? And so what more could happen to Job twice as much as that? That sounds pretty hard to me. But they said that's what his friends were saying. And they remember, they were supposed to be the ones that were comforting Job. Okay. Let's get back to this now in the 13th chapter again. <clears throat> he says uh, in verse uh, 10, He will surely reprove you if you do secretly accept persons. He's telling the friend, God will reprove you if you keep on doing the way you're doing. Shall not His excellency make you afraid and His dread fall upon you? Your remembrances are like unto ashes and your bodies to bodies of clay. They hadn't remembered how... Job was, and they had known Job before all this affliction had come upon him. He says, your remembrances are like, like unto ashes, and your bodies to the bodies of clay. Hold your peace, let me alone that I may speak, and let come on me what will. In other words, you just leave me alone, and if God wants to judge me, let him do that. And then he says, wherefore do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my, my life in my hand? Mine hand. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. See, they accused Job of, of uh, being a great sinner and most wicked, and he's getting what he deserved. But Job maintained his confidence in God, and he says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. There's very few people in Job's situation would have been like this. He says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But I will maintain my own, own ways before him. He says, He also shall be my salvation... 
For an hypocrite shall not come before him. They had accused Job of being a hypocrite, remember? And he says, rather than be a hypocrite, he's going to be my salvation. And you know if I'm a hypocrite, that God would not save me. For no hypocrite, for an hypocrite shall not come before him. Hear diligently my speech and my declaration with your ears. Behold, now I have ordered my cause. I know that I shall be justified. He says, I've ordered my cause. I've turned it over to God. Who is he that will plead with me? For now, if I hold my tongue, I shall give up the ghost. Only do not two things unto me. Then will I not hide myself from thee. Withdraw thine hand far from me, and let uh, not thy dread make me afraid. It seems that now that Job is turning, in a sense, from his friends and making this a kind of a prayer before God. And he says, Then call thou, and I will answer her. Let me speak, and answer thou me. He wanted to know his sins. How many are mine iniquities and sins? I want you to tell me all about them. Make me to know my transgression and my sin. He knew that these friends didn't know his transgression and his sin. But he wants to know. And he wants to know God's purpose in afflicting him. Then in verse 24, Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and holdest me uh, for thine enemy? Don't you imagine, Job, that in his situation felt that he was kind of forsaken, even from heaven, and yet he maintained his faith in God, but he felt like God was really bringing this upon him, and God was permitting Satan to do it. But God was just testing and trying Job to see how strong he was, and he was stronger than most of us. He says in verse 25, Wilt thou break a leaf driven to and fro? I'm just like a leaf. Wilt thou pursue the dry stubble? For thou writest bitter things against me, and makest me to possess the iniquities of my youth. Thou puttest my feet also in the stocks, and lookest narrowly into my paths. Thou settest a print upon the heels of my feet. And he, as a rotten thing, consumeth, as a garment that is mothy. Chapter 14. Man that is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. What is man, anyway? He's of few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. He's full of trouble. He flees like a shadow. His days are numbered down in verse 5. Look at this. And dost thou open thine eyes upon such an one and bringest me into judgment with thee? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. In other words, Job knew he was born a sinner and he knew he had to to live as a man upon this earth full of trouble. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one, he said. You know, we have people today trying to bring a clean thing out of an unclean. We have people today trying to say that they can take an unclean man, a sinful man, and just by giving him things or doing things and putting him in different circumstances or different, a better situation than he's in, uh, that he'll become a lot better person by doing that. I don't know if that holds true. It doesn't seem like it. For God made Adam and Eve, and he put them in the garden to, to keep it, and he gave them the best surroundings there was. And when Satan came along, they sinned against God, and they, their habitation and their circumstances certainly didn't cause them to do that. It was the temptation that brought it about. And when they sinned, then all of mankind is uh, taken up where Adam left off, so to speak. The Bible says, For by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death is passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. In verse 5, Seeing his days are determined, and the number of his months are with thee, that's a, thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. If you don't think this puts you under the direct control and power of God, seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Now someone says, well, does that mean that... Uh, uh, when my time comes that I'm going to die? Yes, that's what it means. <laughs> when your time comes, you're going to die. 
Your days are determined. God knows it. Now, that doesn't mean that you know it, but it does mean that God knows it. And God has all knowledge. And thou hast appointed His bounds that He cannot pass. Remember in the book of Acts, it says, God has appointed the bounds of their habitation, made of all, one blood all men to dwell upon the face of the earth, and hath determined the, uh, before this time the bounds of their habitation, their habitat. You might say, well, I wonder why some people are born in countries like we hear around the world in various places. God determined the bounds of their habitation. Chinese over where they are, the, the eastern countries, the other countries, the European countries, and all, and even over our nation. God has determined the bounds of man's habitation. Paul preached that, I believe it was on Mars Hill, wasn't it, where he preached that? But anyway, uh, we'll find here, it says, Turn from him that he may rest till he shall, look, till he shall accomplish as an hireling his day. For there is hope of a tree if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Now, how much better is a man than a tree if he's cut down, that he will uh, rise again, that there will be life given to him? It says in verse 8, Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stalk thereof die in the ground, yet through the sin of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. You know, I was out on the farm over in Oklahoma, built a little fence around a little farmhouse there. Little two room house where Louise and I lived when we first married. Uh, about a year after that, we was farming over in uh, Oklahoma. Went down on the, the creek bank and we cut all these posts. We built a fence around there. And I had a corner post about oh, this big around, nice, sturdy corner post. And we had all that fence built. And one morning I woke up and there were limbs sticking out all over that thing. Honestly, it was so green it started growing limbs. And, uh, that was the, the main post of the corner of our house there. And I looked out there and I thought, I've got a tree instead of a post. Did you see what Job says? It says, Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stalk thereof die in the ground, yet through the sin of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. That's exactly what that post did, too. It says, But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? Now, Job later on learned a little more about the hereafter. And, and uh, in the 19th chapter, if you'll remember, Job says, uh, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after the skin worms destroy this body, after I'm dead and this flesh is gone, he says, yet in my flesh I'm going to be resurrected. Shall I see God, whom I shall behold for myself and not another? And Job said, Oh, that my words were now written, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron... Uh, uh, let's see, an iron pen, does he say? With an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. And they were written in the Bible instead of in, on a rock. But we find here uh, that Job is saying, But man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? As the waters fall from the sea, and the flood decayeth and dryeth up, so man lieth down and riseth not. Now look, till the heavens be no more, they shall not awake, nor be raised out of their sleep. The body sleeps. At least he had some idea that there was going to be... You know, Job is said to be the first book of the Bible, really, or the oldest book of the Bible. Though it may not have been written first, but the context or the... We put it, uh, uh, the chronology of it should exist way back, we believe, placed in even in the book of Genesis. So, in fact, we have reason to believe. Remember when we gave you the introduction, there's no mention of the law of Moses. There's no mention of the, the Levitical sacrifices and all these things that are described throughout the Old Testament in the writings of the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. 
is not mentioned. And so we have reason to believe it was a very early book, at least in the happening of it and the chronology of it. So we find that here Job doesn't have full knowledge of all the 